TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Thank you very much for staying up with me. Sirius 206, Radio.com Sports, CBS Sports, Radio.com. We are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studio. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience 855-212-4CBS is the telephone number we'll get back to your calls in a little bit but drama in Chicago regarding the New York Mets and I know normally nationally people are like nah it's just a baseball game but there's something about New York dysfunction that I think resonates this is the statement from the Mets uh, after the incident at Wrigley Field today which involved Mickey Calloway their manager Dropping some uh, curse language at Tim Healy, who covers the Mets for Newsday, and Jason Vargas, one of their starting pitchers, moving in Healy's direction, supposedly saying that he's going to fight him. We'll get the details on that in a second. Here's the statement from the Mets. The Mets sincerely regret the incident that took place with one of our beat writers following today's game in the clubhouse. We do not condone this type of behavior from any employee. The organization has reached out and apologized to this reporter and will have further discussions internally with all involved parties. Matt Ehalt covers the Mets for Yahoo Sports. He was in the clubhouse. He was witness to the incident. Matt, I appreciate the time, man. How are you doing tonight? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So, uh, in as many details as you can, what happened? All right. So, um, b- before we can get to the, the what actually happened between the two, you got to rewind it to what happened in the game, right? The Mets are up three to two. They're going to win. They're trying to get three or four in Wrigley. Uh, they lose in the eighth inning. Uh, Seth Lugo gives up a three-run homer while Edwin Diaz doesn't come in the game. Uh, they don't even get Diaz warmed up. Mets blow it. They're you know they're all world closer. It doesn't even come in the game. So after the game, Mickey is asked about it, and there's quite a few questions uh, as you would expect. Uh, and Mickey gets a little testy. Like at one point, I basically I asked him, "Hey, um, you know, basically I, I said, do you? Because he said that they can only use Diaz for five out or four out. So I asked him. I said, "Hey, uh, you know, do you need to be a little more malleable when you lose games like this?" And he goes to me, "No, just because you say so." So he was not in a good mood. So about 15 minutes after the game, I would say, we're all standing in there and we're waiting for uh, Edwin Diaz, you know, the final guy to speak uh, before we're done for the day. And Callaway comes out and, uh, you know, the reporter simply just said to him, uh, see you tomorrow, Mickey. A completely innocent, innocuous line, a line that is said to many players and coaches on getaway day games. The Mets are, they left tonight for Philly. We all say to the guys, hey, have, have a safe trip, man, uh, safe travel, see you tomorrow. Said, see you tomorrow, Mickey. Mickey took that for some reason as a sarcastic or smug uh, uh, remark. He looked at it as something on his jaw. I, I'm not sure. I can't speak to how Mickey took it other than he did not take it as the innocent comment it was. And he goes to him, uh, you know, don't be a smart ass, bleep and bleep. 
comes back, gets into an argument with the reporter over the remark when the reporter was just trying to tell him it wasn't anything. Starts cursing him out, dropping F-bombs, screaming for him to be removed. And again, he's doing this in front of everybody. This is not a thing where they were down the hall and we could hear them. He's literally standing in the clubhouse cursing the guy out, telling the the, uh, Mets PR guy to get rid of him. Then Jason Vargas is kind of standing there. Now, Jason Vargas is on the other side of the clubhouse from uh, Healy. Now, he's probably 15 feet away, right? Like, I mean, the the, the Wrigley clubhouse is very small. Uh, you know, I'm sitting in my hotel room here. I think it's literally about the size of this. So he's standing on the other side. And, and, and I cannot say enough here. Tim did nothing wrong. He literally said to the manager, I'll see you tomorrow, Mickey. Well, Vargas starts staring at him. They're having, like, a stare down. I'm not sure why exactly. And... Tim says something along the lines, so I'm like, hey, you, you look like you have something to say. Vargas then basically at some point threatens him to a fight, like, do you want to go? And then says to him, I'll beat, uh, I forget the exact words, I'll knock you the bleep out, bro. Then he basically goes after him. He starts moving towards him, charging him. Gomez, Carlos Gomez comes running over from his locker. He holds him back. Noah Syndergaard comes over. He holds him back. Uh, Tim eventually leaves. We do one final interview with Diaz, and we get out of there. But that was kind of thing. I mean, it was about, a, I'd say, you know, it was like a two, three-minute thing. But, you know, it was something that they did it in front of everybody where, you know, this was not a behind-closed doors. This was Mickey Calloway for some reason decided he was going to air out uh, a reporter in front of everybody, and then Vargas uh, jumped in on it. Wow. Okay. There's a lot there. You say Jason Vargas charged at Tim Healy. So, in your opinion, if uh, Gomez and Syndergaard don't get in the way, Jason Vargas is throwing hands? Like, he he legitimately wanted to fight? That I can't say for sure because there was, like, furniture in his way. Um, he got stopped, like, uh, he got stopped about a few feet from I mean, listen, there was never any punches thrown, right? Like, there was never a moment where everybody was going to have to come over and break this thing up. But, no, he made a move towards him. He started walking towards him and pretty, like, he was going towards him, and he got stopped. I, I, I mean, listen, there was furniture. His players got in. I don't know what happens if he goes over. He just gets in his face and starts pointing at him and screaming at him. But they were at a point where basically, you know, like I said, he made a move towards the reporter. This was not something where they were just talking to the other side. He he went after the guy. I mean, he he did, you know, take a few steps, you know. Take yeah, steps he made the move. I got you. Off. Matt Ehalt covers the Mets for Yahoo Sports, joining us now after the incident at Wrigley Field. Do you expect suspensions and possibly even a firing of Mickey Callaway for either Vargas or Callaway after the incident? Um, I don't expect either. Um, I don't think MLB, and maybe I'm wrong on this, I don't think MLB would suspend Vargas because, I mean, you've had guys say stuff before the reporters. He didn't throw any punches or anything. Um, You know, so I I don't expect a a suspension. I don't think Callaway's going to be... Uh, fired for this. Uh, I do, you know, I don't think this helps him in any way, but I don't think like tomorrow you're going to arrive to Philly and he's no longer going to be the manager. But what about the background of Callaway? Like, is he, is he on thin ice with with the Mets and with um, Mets fans? You know, it's a weird question because they had the chance to fire him earlier in the year and they didn't fire him uh, after that sweep in, in Miami. Then they went out and won six of the next seven on the homestand to basically, you know, uh, squash all those questions. I, I think Mickey's at a point where 
you know, and they said at the time when they didn't fire him, they said, well, we're not exactly sure essentially what firing him would do at this point. So now if you tell me, is Mickey going to be the manager next year? I would say, no, I think that's a pretty simple thing, especially if they, you know, the, the way it's going, they don't make the playoffs, but I, I'm not sure if they would be ready to pull the, the trigger on him just because, you know, at this point, it's kind of like, is that going to make that huge of a change? But like I said, I mean, you know, this is something, the Mets are an organization that pays a lot of focus on what is the national outcry, what is the public relations thing, and they're going to take a hit on this. So this could be something that, you know, changes a little because, you know, I mean, hey, they, they literally just had their manager, you know, today going after reporters, right, which is, you know, it's one thing to do what Mickey did behind closed doors. Everybody, you've been on a beat long enough, you're going to have sometimes somebody cursed you out behind the closed door. But to do it in front of everybody, that's taking it a step beyond kind of what I think managers and players are allowed to do. Matt Eholt covers the Mets for Yahoo Sports. He was there when Mickey Calloway and Jason Vargas went off on Tim Healy from Newsday. You've said multiple times that Healy did nothing wrong. Um was he involved in like the the peppering post game? I assume he was among those asking questions. Was it confrontational yeah. between Healy and Callaway at the post game press conference? Yeah, he, uh, he asked Mickey several questions. This, the the snarkiest answer was the question I asked, in which he said, "Why? Just because you think so?" Um, so basically, um, that is no. There was not a a moment between them where you saw something boiling, like where you would have said, "Like oh, he he was." Kicked off around that. Like I said, I mean, not the like the question I asked them was the one that got the really snarky response. Uh, right. That you know that why just because you say so. So no, there was not anything that today like that Tim asked in any way that was out of line or that or that you knew there was something boiling under the 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 kind of surface like that. Like and and you know I mean I've heard some people say it today. I do think it's true. I think it could have been anybody. I think it could have been anybody in that room, if they had just said something along the lines of Mickey as he walked by, that he might have just snapped on them. Because, I mean, otherwise, a guy saying, I'll see you tomorrow, Mickey, that, I mean, it's completely innocent. There, There's no meaning behind that whatsoever. Yeah, no, it, it obviously sounds very innocuous, but I mean, I, I know plenty of ball writers, right? And it can be it can be a sarcastic bunch, and the, the banter between the manager and the ball writer is a, it's a sacred tradition. And I wonder if, you know... And again, it wouldn't excuse Callaway for that reaction. He's got to be above that. Clearly, he is in the wrong here, he and Vargas. But I do wonder if uh, if Tim was like, you know, if the Mets would have won on a walk-off home run and Mickey Callaway is walking by, does he say, see you tomorrow, Mickey? Or if there was a, a tinge of sarcasm attached to it? No, there, there was. I, I know Tim. I would stand up for him any day. He, he, he is not the type of guy. I mean, and you just brought up a good point, right? Like any reporter in there who, who is today, you know, like today is not the day to bust guys' stones, right? I mean, listen, you, you deal with guys, you can have fun with the guy. I mean, hey, we were joking on Frazier yesterday all about, hey, you gave up. Uh, you don't even know, you know, like we were saying, you know, the players in there. It's like you didn't know you hit a home run. Nobody today, the way Mickey would have gone up to him and tried to, like, bust his chops, and they're like, oh, you know, there, there was none of that. He was literally just saying, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. And, and like I said, the, the only thing that I can think of is that as it, it, Mickey, and this is just me trying to speculate, is that Mickey took it as some kind of sarcastic remark on his job status right. that he might have interpreted that he thought he was saying, like, well, you have a job tomorrow, when he was just saying, like, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. I saw one of your colleagues, I forgot who already, there's so many New York media members, but someone uh, theorized that Mickey Calloway might be trying to get fired. Do you think there's any validity there? 
I, I, you know, I, I don't want to get into a thing of like, you know, me, me against like another one of like, like, like the, the reporters, like who's saying, I, I just think it was, I mean, my, my two cents was it, 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 if someone had to ask me what happened, I would just say this was a case of a guy who was ready to pop. He heard something that he took one way and it was completely the other, because, you know, I, I mean, listen, these, these jobs, right? Like, I mean, if Mickey Cowley gets fired from this job, which, you know, it, it, it looks like he's going to at some point, like these jobs don't come around all that often. And if you fail pretty badly within two years, like if you only lasted two years, that's going to be something where you don't just get another job after that. So, I, I mean, I don't think – I did not take it as this was a guy like saying, fire me, fire me to, to, today to do something like that. It, it, because, you know, like I said, I, I don't see what he would personally – um, you know, have have to gain uh, from something like that, especially because if he was going to do something like that, he could have done it in the post game interview, right? Because then you know it's on TV. Like he came out into the thing. If no one says anything to him, then a point. Like I, I, I don't know. I think it was more. I, I don't know exactly why he made a thing of it, but it, it, you know, I mean, but who, who knows exactly what uh, you know he, what's going through his mind at this point. Last thing for you, Matt, and I appreciate your time on what I know is a busy day. Um, You know as well as anyone that the Mets are the second team in that city. There is a little brother syndrome there. There is an inferiority complex in some ways. And with the Wilpons, there's been a lot of dysfunction, and they are an easy punching bag for the fan base, a very tough media. I cannot wait to hear, you know, if Francesa finds his old fastball tomorrow, right? I, daily, daily News, Mickey Mouth Club is the headline. Newsday, Meltdown, uh, New York Post, Mets Mayhem, Mickey curses out reporter, then Vargas threatens him. Given the context around the Mets and dysfunction and how that city kind of pounces on, on a vulnerable prey when the Mets give them, you know, something meaty like this, how bad do you expect the backlash locally to be? Oh, they're gonna get they're gonna get uh, killed tomorrow. I mean, if they have it, and the and perhaps the only saving grace they might have for them tonight is um, of all the papers there and uh, you know the, the websites. Uh, the there was only one columnist as well. Now the negative part of that is all the columnists are going to be meeting them in Philadelphia tomorrow. So you're going to have the whole backlash of that. They're going to have to meet the music. Uh, Brody was not there post game. I saw him in the morning. I think I forget if it was this morning or yesterday. Saw Brody. Um, he was not there post game. So, you know, he was already gone. So, um, you know, it, it, tomorrow is going to be the day they're just going to get absolutely crucified uh, over this. Now, maybe they have their idea. Maybe Mickey comes out and says, I screwed up, I did that. But it's going to raise the question, have you lost control of this team? You know, is, it, is this where it is? But it, it, the one thing, though, to remember in all this, and I think I do think because, like, I've gotten this question a few times, is this was a one player thing. This was not something where like Gomez was standing there with Vargas saying, Do you want to go? Syndergaard. This was something one player. Like so, you know, this is this is not a thing where it was like a, a us against them mentality where you have four or five players standing there like you guys want to go, you want to say like this was this was just for some reason one guy, one like I said, the manager, and then one player. So I, I, it, it's a weird situation. Like I said, it's not something where it would be like this brings the clubhouse together because it was only one guy who who took offense to it. Yeah, I'll I'll make the prediction that Mickey Calloway apologizes and Jason Vargas gets suspended. You you can't have a player being threatening physically to a reporter. You just you just can't. I, I'm not. I, 
that wouldn't surprise me. I'm not sure what the, you know, the, the, the exact things that they're going to be able to do. But no, but I mean, you're 100% right. They can't, no matter what, because, you know, I mean, hey, I've, I've been on the end of it. If, you, if you've been a beat long enough, you know, guys are going to pull you aside and they're going to curse you out. There's going to be things you write that they don't like. But usually guys do it behind closed doors and they do it one-on-one, right? Like they'll pull you aside on the field and they'll say, you know, I didn't like it all what you wrote. I thought that was unfair. You, you, you did me wrong or something like, like they don't like the way you portray something and, and you have to take the music, right? Like there's, there's that. And then there's what Mickey did, which is in front of his entire team, pretty much. I mean, there were guys coming out of the shower, standing there like, what the hell is going on? Like, you know, like, like one of his coaches was behind them and it was almost like, what am I stepping into? Uh, you know, they, they come out and, and they see this. So when you do it in front of the way he did, like, you you know, you, you put it out there. I mean, he, they, he made it a story because instead of taking the guy behind, like, the, you know, instead of doing it off to the side or if you have a problem with the guy, he decided he was going to blow him up in, in front of everybody, and especially in something in which, you know, the, like I said, the, the reporter in question didn't do anything that in any way was, you know, out of, out of line. Matt Eholt covers the Mets for Yahoo Sports. Safe travels to Philly, man. It'll be an interesting day for you tomorrow. <laughs> sure will. Thank you. That's Matt Ehal covers the Mets for Yahoo Sports. Yeah, let's discuss uh, precedent and possible punishments before the You Call It segment coming up in 40 minutes. If you want to get in on You Call It, just tweet me at Danny Parkins, hashtag You Call It. And uh, if you've got a good topic or question, I will react to it in 20 minutes. But yeah, I think there's at least one suspension coming for this incident with the Mets. It's the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Danny Parkin Show. CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line is 855-212-4227. It's brought to you by Geico. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com and in 15 minutes you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Thanks to Matt Ehall for staying up late with us from the Mets clubhouse at Wrigley Field today talking about the drama with Mickey Calloway, Jason Vargas, and Tim Healy, the reporter from Newsday. I saw that Tim Healy actually was interviewed by one of his colleagues at Newsday. Journalists always hate when they become the story. Talking heads like me don't hate it so much, but ta- uh, actual, like journalists, newspaper guys, they often will hate when they become the story. And he said that the word charged by Varga, uh, that Vargas charged at him, it was overstating it, but that he took a couple of steps in his direction and that he was not trying to instigate uh, Callaway or certainly Jason Vargas. These sort of incidents go very, very, very poorly for the teams or the players. And that's just a fact. I'll give you a little behind the scenes of it. Media sticks together. Politics, sports, entertainment, whatever. Media just sticks together. It doesn't mean that we never criticize each other if we're wrong, but if you come at a media member over, like um, there was the story at one of the college programs last year about pulling the credential. I forgot what school that was. I'm sorry, I don't remember. Everybody piled on, and that became such a big story. Where was that? It was... Was it an NCAA tournament school that blocked a reporter? Like, was it Southern Illinois? Not Southern Illinois. Bradley? It was Bradley. I want to say it was Bradley. Ryan, can you look that up for me to be sure that I was right on that, please? But they made the tournament. They were upset with some coverage. They pulled a credential. And then right before the NCAA tournament started, a bigger story than them making the tournament 
was them pulling the guy's credential because every national media member piled on them and said how idiotic it was and how petty it was. So when these types of things happen, the media is going to defend their own. And even if, let's take it at its absolute worst, and let's say that Healy was being antagonistic to Mickey Calloway, which by most accounts he wasn't, you still can't F-bomb him in the workplace. And then if you're the pitcher and you're Vargas, you certainly can't go at him in a physical way and you need to be separated by your teammates. Yeah, it was Bradley in this past year's NCAA tournament. Thanks, guys. Took me a minute to get there. I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets suspend Jason Vargas. You can't have anything physically threatening happen towards a reporter. It's just, it's a fairly easy red line to not cross. My guess is Callaway doesn't get suspended. He just gets reprimanded internally, and it's used as part of the justification to fire him whenever they decide to fire him. My guess is they don't fire him tomorrow, but it sounds like that's happening inevitably. I'll tell you, though, it is true, and I don't think that you should make a huge deal about any of this other than the physical stuff from Vargas because athletes, coaches, executives yelling at members of the media, cursing at members of the media, frankly, it's not a huge deal. This is sports. This is the toy store. Happened to me a few different times. I got the funniest story is probably Sean Smith, the uh, old defensive tackle played for the, the chiefs is when I encountered him. I think he played for the Browns, maybe one or two other teams. Okay. Player. He's been an advocate for uh, athletes and marijuana use since him and I have long since made up, but Sean Smith posted a picture of his gun on Twitter And then the Chiefs were in the midst of a 14-loss season. And Chiefs fans were going back at him on Twitter. And he was responding with the quip of, kill yourself. Which, you know, when you just posted a gun, not the greatest look. I pointed out on Twitter that it wasn't the greatest look. And Sean Smith tweeted back to me, go suck a pickle, which while unbelievably juvenile, fairly hilarious. I went into the locker room, the next open locker room session on a, on a Wednesday. And he started screaming at me and PR like got in the middle of the two and said like, just don't go over there. Let him cool down. And him and I eventually actually became cool. He still follows me on Twitter. And if I say something to him or he says something back, he'll often just tweet me, go suck a pickle. Like, we laugh about it now. But these things happen. He's in the midst of a long losing season. He made a mistake on social media. There, I, I shined light on it as a member of the press with a big following. He got upset. And then, uh, you know, we move on. And it's cool. But so the cursing and the yelling, and that's, you don't like it to happen, but it's not a traditional workplace. The violence thing, that's the problem. So to me, Callaway gets slapped on the wrist. Hey, you're supposed to be the adult in the room. You're supposed to be better than that. That's why there's the 10-minute cooling down period. Just you got to be better than that. You're the face and voice of an organization. And people got to remember how often managers of baseball teams speak. 
They managers of baseball teams speak to the media more than anyone else in pro sports. Before every game, after every game, usually also before every game to the local radio team. So that's three interviews a day times 162 games. Every day during spring training, national MLB Network radio, MLB Network, any national games of the week, and then any one-offs that they do interviews. Baseball managers talk to the media easily 700 times a year. If they pop off every now and again, it's not that big of a deal. What Vargas did is the bigger part of the story there, simply because you can't have it even be intimated of physical threat. I don't think anyone could view that as controversial. We started doing this a few weeks ago. It's one of my favorite segments on the national show, which we appreciate you tuning in on hopefully every Sunday night. You can follow me at Danny Parkins on Twitter. And if you do, a few hours before I go on the air, I put it out there for you. I always loved you call it nights at the bar. You call it. I respond to it. So just tweet me at Danny Parkins and I will add you to the list. This is the Danny Parkins show. Thanks for hanging out on the Danny Parkin Show on CBS Sports Radio. Tomorrow night at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific, CBS Sports Network brings you coverage of the 2019 Collegiate Women's Sports Awards as top-tier student-athletes throughout the NCAA are honored for their impressive accomplishments in their sports, school, and community. Do this show every Sunday night, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Central Time. And if you're following me on Twitter at Danny Parkins, Usually a few hours before I go on the air, I ask you to uh, call it, call it the you call it segment. And uh, I go rapid fire through the things that you want me to talk about because it's a national show and I'm based here in Chicago. And sometimes I don't know exactly what everyone wants me to weigh in on. So we can kind of uh, span the world in that way and uh, touch on a lot of different things, sports and otherwise. My man, Ryan Hickey, going to give me some music and we'll get into it. Daniel Robb on Twitter writes in, what do you see as the possible ramifications of Lakers management not asking Anthony Davis to waive his trade kicker, and will that prohibit them in their search for a third amigo? I like third amigo instead of a big three. It feels like Rob Polinka was in a little bit over his head negotiating with David Griffin in terms of the timing and the cap ramifications of the entire thing. But they just needed to get LeBron a second star. And if they got, once they got LeBron Anthony Davis, now they go to building their team. I have to believe they knew the salary cap ramifications of it. And LeBron said when the trade went through, it's only the beginning. Now, if they messed that up and they did not know what it was going to be, that's a tremendous amount of egg on their face. I don't believe that to be the case. There have been conflicting reports on that. I think the Lakers are going to try to spread the money around and get guys who want to play in L.A., get guys who want to play with LeBron, get guys who want to hunt a ring, and they're going to say, instead of going out and getting Kemba Walker and then a bunch of minimum players, and I don't even think they'll be able to afford Kemba Walker, he'd have to take $80 million less to sign with the Lakers than he could with uh, with Charlotte. But Brooke Lopez, Patrick Beverly, Danny Green, Trevor, Trevor Ariza, Go that route and try to get two or three playable rotation veterans who know how to play, preferably who can shoot, 
so they can play off LeBron and AD doing the pick and pop game. And that way LeBron can still sit 15 games out of the year. And you don't have to worry about it so much. So I think they're going to try to spread it around so that they don't fall into the same trap that other big threes that have had no talent behind them have, especially with LeBron being 35. He's not going to play that long. So my, I think the ramifications either intentionally or inadvertently is going to be spreading the money around and not getting a third big in terms of big three or third amigo. Matthew Wilson tweets in. So Danny, a casino up here in Boston had its grand opening today and a guy waited 18 hours in line to open your response. 1-800-G-A-M-B-L-E-R. 1-800-GAMBLER, my man. Gambling addiction is no joke. And while I believe that prohibition doesn't work, and history showed us that with, you know, prohibition, so I am a big legalize it, tax it, regulate it guy. Be like, oh, so you want heroin? No, not be crazy here but you know things that we've proven that society at large is going to do whether it's legal or not yeah let's tax it let's regulate it let's make some money off of it let's take it out of the black market so gambling marijuana prostitution things like that i'd be in favor of legalizing and regulating it and taxing it but that doesn't mean that there's not addictive behaviors and things that are kind of scary Listen, if you're doing it as a joke because you want to be the first in line at a casino, cool for you. Play that $10 blackjack hand and get out of there. If you're waiting in line 18 hours for a casino when you can gamble already, that might be a problem, man. 1-800-GAMBLER. That's no joke. Josh Peck tweets in at Danny Parkins. Which team in each league would you buy stock in now going into their respective next seasons? Oh, man. Well, I assume you mean... Not like American League, National League, and you're talking about like big pro sports. I'm not knowledgeable enough about the NHL to give you hockey. So I'll go baseball, football, basketball. In baseball, I'm actually going to stay local. The White Sox tried to give Manny Machado $300 million and he didn't take it. They're going to be major players in free agency this offseason. And... They've had some real developmental wins this season. Lucas Giolito is going to make the all-star team after maybe being the worst starting pitcher in the American League last year, and that's not like a hyperbole. Guys who qualified, he had the worst ERA in the American League. This year, he might start the all-star team for the American League. He's been a revelation. James Mechanic catcher has been a revelation. Tim Anderson has proven that he is going to maybe be an all-star and is a franchise-caliber shortstop. Yohan Moncada has taken a step forward this year. They're going to spend money. Aaron Bummer's a real nice piece in the bullpen. They might hold on to Colome and Herrera, who they've got one year of control left, so that's the makings of a good bullpen going into next year. Plus, they've got Dylan Cease, who will get promoted Plus, they've got Michael Kopech coming back from Tommy John. They've got a lot of young pitching talent, young position player talent. They're going to supplement it with veterans, and the American League Central is garbage, even though the Twins are really good this year. I'd bet on the White Sox. I'd buy stock in them going forward. You can get that for cheap right now. In the NFL, I'd buy stock in the Colts, even though they're one of the top 10 favorites to win the Super Bowl next year. I just think Andrew Luck is as good as he was advertised when he came out of Stanford. 
and then incompetence around him in Indianapolis and injury derailed him back. But he looked great last year. He's healthy. Now he's got a full offseason of being healthy. They had nine draft picks. They've got $100 million in cap space that they did not use a ton of. I don't know if they'll win the Super Bowl this year, but they've got the coach. They got Chris Ballard, the executive, who is one of the best football talent evaluators in the entire league. And they got the quarterback signed in in his prime with draft picks and free agent money coming. And the Jaguars stink and the Titans stink. So he's only got to go through Deshaun Watson and the Texans in that division. Yeah, I think the Colts are going to win a Super Bowl in the next three years. I'd buy stock in them and I'd buy stock in the Bucks. For some reason, because they're not going to make a huge free agent addition and they're probably going to just run it back. They're not considered one of the favorites next year in small market Milwaukee. Giannis is going to become the best player in the NBA sooner than later, and it'll be by consensus. 7-1, lockdown defensive player, prime of his athletic career, adding a jump shot, second year in the system, tons of continuity, Eastern Conference. I think the Bucks are going to be back just as good next year as they were this year. So White Sox, Colts, and Bucks are the teams I'd buy stock in. Billy B24, do you think that KD, Kyrie, and the talent already assembled in Brooklyn is enough to make the Nets a legitimate title contender next year? Next year, no. KD's Achilles, and I don't trust Kyrie. And even if KD came back for the playoffs, it's too late in the season to be in full rhythm and get up to speed. He's probably missing all of next year. So if KD and Kyrie team up in Brooklyn, that'll be fascinating and, frankly, hilarious. Uh, for those of us who don't mind a little pain for Knicks fans, but that's not a title contender next year, but in a weird way, it actually could help the development because you get Kyrie with a young team that made the playoffs this year and they get on the same page. And then you add KD, all of those other young guys who are going to have to shift into role player roles. Sorry for my syntax there. They're going to have that much more confidence playing in another season where they win, you know, 40-something games and make the first or second round of the playoffs without KD. So that's absolutely a championship nucleus going forward, but not next year. Andy Needling asked me a Bulls question, local follower. He says, Danny, I love Wendell Carter, Zach Levine, and Lowry Markkinen. Kobe White is intriguing to me, but I have no faith in Garpax. How much faith should we have in the Bulls? The Bulls are going to be the youngest team in the NBA again next season. The Bulls are going to score a ton of points, and they're going to give up a ton of points. And we still don't know if Jim Boylan can coach. Signs early pointed to it was going to be a disaster. More recently pointed to that he might be league average. I still am fairly cynical there. I don't see how the timeline on this works. Otto Porter's up in two years. You're going to have to pay Lowry after next year. Levine can't guard anybody. We don't know yet about Wendell Carter. And Kobe White's going to be really exciting, but also is going to struggle to guard people. So him and Levine is going to be a real problem at the end of games. I think they're young. I think they're exciting. I think they're going to score. But by the time Otto Porter leaves and you've paid Lowry, are you going to be an attractive enough free agent destination with one year left on Zach Levine and maybe you're trading him? I hope so as a Bulls fan. Like, I hope that... Kobe White, Lowry Markkinen, and Wendell Carter is the nucleus, and that Zach Levine and Otto Porter are just placeholders, and then in two years they're ready to actually sign free agents and they offload those contracts. But I think you're staring at another 
50 loss season next year, albeit one that's slightly more exciting. Sean Neems tweets in at Danny Parkins. We're doing the You Call It segment. Hey, I saw pictures on your Instagram about the Rolling Stones. How were they? First of all, thank you for following my Instagram account. My agent yelled at me. He told me I needed to get a lot better. So please give me a follow. Danny Parkins one on Instagram. I'm trying to be good, but I'm not. My mom said it best, I think, about the Stones. She said, Mick Jagger can still move. You know, he can move like Jagger. But if he went back and forth and up and down and across that stage 20 times over 22 songs on Friday night at Soldier Field, 20 years ago, he would have been back and across and up and down that stage 200 times. They still sound like the Stones. And Jagger moves really impressively for a 75-year-old man. But it's all just a little slower. Little slower between songs. One song's not blending into the next. They're not dancing like crazy. Charlie and Keith look a little rough. Mick is still one hell of a front man, and man, they sound like the Stones. It was crazy. They played 22 songs, like 19 of them were hits. It was, it's really cool to see rock and roll legends and icons, albeit at the end, right? Like if you could see Dirk Nowitzki at the end this past year, or Dwayne Wade, you still tell your kids you saw Dwayne Wade or Dirk Nowitzki. You didn't see him at their best, but you still saw him. It was my third time seeing him. It was really cool to do. I appreciate all of your interaction at Danny Parkins on Twitter. We can keep that going next week. Coming up next, this weekend's edition of America's Pastime gets bent out of shape over something dumb. This sport just can't help itself. That's coming up next. Danny Parkins Show, CBS Sports Radio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.